On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So if you're listening right when this episode comes out, um, I'm in Florida and we're about to get a hurricane. So I'm trying to get this episode finished and, and teed up so that I can go and charge all of our backup power, especially for my CPAP, um, and just make sure we have enough um, water in case anything crazy happens. Um, usually, you know, when we've had hurricanes pass by before, we've lost power for, you know, a day or two. So I'm hopeful that it's not going to be much worse than that. For anyone listening on the other side of Florida, who is more, you know, like in the cone where they're tracking the storm, I'm just sending you all my love. If you listen hard, you can hear the rain starting. <laughs> I'm in my closet, but I can hear that there's all sorts of rain going on outside. So today's guest is Dr. Scott Saunders. And I was so glad that he joined us to share his journey um, because he's been through a lot. And I think sometimes it's really helpful for people out there who just are having a really tough time with this whole journey of sleep apnea to hear, you know, stories of other people really going through, you know, trying a lot of different treatment options and having problems with them. And, you know, it's just really a challenge, but I think it makes a lot of us feel less alone. So I'm really grateful to Dr. Saunders. So Dr. Scott Saunders is a dentist now a researcher, speaker, and writer on airway, sleep, and oral health. He co-founded Healthy Mouth Media and is the producer of the Functional Oral and Airway Health Summits with his partner, Bonnie Benjamin. Scott received his DDS degree from Georgetown University School of Dentistry, and he practiced general dentistry and periodontal wellness. Importantly, Dr. Scott suffers from severe obstructive sleep apnea and probably has for most of his life. He's currently using the implanted Inspire device and is recording his journey and experiences with it at healthymouthmedia.com inspire. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Scott Saunders. Dr. Scott Saunders, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Emma. Appreciate your having me on. It's a pleasure to be um, here. So I'm kind of, I spent the weekend watching some of your videos that you have posted about your journey so far. And it made me sad that we're not doing this in person because I kind of want to give you a hug. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. You've been through a lot with this. Um so let's just start out. I mean, it's your story and you can really tell it however you want to, but I think it'd be really helpful to kind of go back and and talk about like when you think symptoms first started. I know that's probably not right when you got diagnosed. So do you want to take us through the kind of early stages up to your diagnosis and how it all happened? Sure. Well, it all started in utero. <laughs> I did have sleep problems when I was a very young child, mm -hmm. uh, mainly insomnia, which unfortunately persists to this day and mm -hmm. really is comorbid with my OSA, but we can talk about that later on. I could not get to sleep. 
Uh, I was fearful, you know, monsters in the closet, monsters under the bed. Yeah. And seeing how the story has unfolded, I see now that sleep issues have been with me probably since early childhood. And there's probably trauma, remembered or not remembered, that is getting in the way of uh, mainly my ability to sleep. And and then we have the yes. OSA, which I can't really give you a, a good time frame on when that started. Yeah. I lived alone until 2009 when I met my current wife, Bonnie. We've been together for going on 15 years and we just got married this year. But oh, congratulations. Then, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, up until that point, I had no bed partner. I was—it was just me, me and my cats, basically. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, we're, hey, we're probably not giving you feedback on whether you had any pauses or snoring or. <laughs> no, they were pretty much sleeping through the whole thing. Yeah. So, and in any case, when Bonnie and I started sleeping together, uh, not long after that, uh, she asked me, "Are you aware of the fact that?" you stop breathing for like 20 seconds at a clip when you're asleep. And I was like, uh, no, I was never aware of that. Well, you do. So that prompted me to investigate further. I was, I was being treated for, or I was in the midst of what was probably my third bout of Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. I had not been diagnosed for the third time, but I had had it twice and, you know, verified on yeah. PCR, Western blot, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And this was 2009 going into 2010. And we have uh, a bunch of stuff happening. Uh, I was seeing a psychiatrist for my ongoing issues with major depressive disorder, for which mm -hmm. I had been taking one med medication or another since 1995 and uh, insomnia, which we were playing around with different meds for that, which really didn't work. And I realized that the mainstream medical community is back then was not terribly literate and is only by my observation, not much more literate now about the diagnosis and treatment of Lyme disease. Yeah. And it, well, one of the one of the things uh, you're, you're and honestly other... sleep. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, yes, and sleep course. disorders, but yes, definitely with Lyme for sure. But right, and all these things were going on, and you know, Lyme tends to hit you at your weakest point, which yeah. with me is my mood and my yeah. depression worsened, my obsessive compulsive disorder worsened. Uh, I wasn't sleeping. I had always had the insomnia and kind of had just come to accept that. And I found my way to a, what is called, I guess, still a Lyme literate doctor who started looking at things that primary care docs very don't even know to at. test for, right? Not, not, the least, not the least of which was testing yeah. me for vitamin D, which at that point was 16. And if you talk to people who really know, that should be in the 50 to 70s range. Yeah. Um, but, you know, who knew? Nobody was nobody was testing for it back then. Mm -hmm. So that was feeding into it. What turned out to be a Lyme disease diagnosis, which this doctor got me to, uh, was feeding into it. And I was seeing my psychiatrist for management of my medication and, you know, just basically talking through what was going on. Did you and, have a therapist to do talk therapy with as well, or just the medication was managing at it? At that point, I I did not. I had mm -hmm. gone through probably an aggregate of seven or eight years of cognitive behavioral therapy, which okay. was absolutely worthless. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it certainly doesn't work for everybody, right? <laughs> it doesn't, and CBT yeah. does not work for trauma, and uh, th there are there are mainstream arms of psychotherapy that still don't don't get that. So I had given up on that. I was seeing my psychiatrist for medication management and very nice, kind woman. I could talk to her about anything. And I told her about my sleep problems. And I happened to mention, you know, my girlfriend told me that I probably have sleep apnea. And she said, oh, you want me to order a sleep study? But a bing, but a boom. Sleep study ordered by right. a psychiatrist. I don't know how often that happens, but you know, hey, I'll take it. And long I mean, behold, honestly, since since I've been doing this podcast, 
you're certainly not the first person that has has come to a sleep test because their psychiatrist has said like you know i really think you should do a sleep test so that that's good to hear that's yeah. good to hear that there that there is some yeah. somebody besides the primary care doc who generally i'll, I'll be honest with you but isn't really even going to talk about sleep and is not going to ask the, the patient how you don't you're have sleeping. any training in it right? they're not going to ask you know are do you do you have trouble breathing when you sleep do you have right. they're not, they're not going to say do you have sleep apnea or have you had a sleep study no it's just not going to happen. Just but cardiologists, happen. I feel like cardiologists and psychiatrists and some of these other specialists, I feel are, are getting a bit more switched on to the importance of sleep and how it impacts their specialty. So, of course, it's all kind of split up. But, yeah, I hear that quite a lot from people. Yeah, it's, it's still very, very siloed. But I think you're right. The specialty medical community is a lot further ahead of the curve than is the primary care and as you said you know they're they're not trained for that they're 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 punched into this time slot of yep. seven minutes for the patient and yeah. i don't envy primary docs the, the test that they have to do and they're not trained in sleep so what did trained in sleep so you had the sleep study so it's a polysomnogram that was 2010 mm -hmm. and what did that show that showed severe obstructive sleep apnea with an ahi up in the 70s okay which is Bad and news. What was your feeling after that? Like, were you surprised? Were you, how did you feel? Not really, especially given what Bonnie had said. Right. I mean, you know, I, I knew something, something wasn't right. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if I'm stopping breathing while I so sleep. So you must be significantly sleepy during the day if that's the level. Yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, sometimes okay. yes, sometimes not. I mean, I I was on a an antidepressant medication that made me sleepy, and I think mainly because of that, I would tend to fall asleep while stopped at at, at a traffic signal, which is no bueno. I mean, you yeah. you can relate to that, given your your own story, you yeah. know, with your with your child in the back, mm -hmm. and that was a turning point moment for you. But in general, Emma, I don't think I I ever had a really a really uh a really good a really persistent problem with sleepiness during the day okay uh, it just wasn't a reliable indicator hmm. so then when you got the results of your sleep study did they tell you the treatment for this is CPAP and put you on that straight away did you discuss other options what happened CPAP yeah. The entire universe is CPAP. <laughs> and how how was the like education around that? Like, I mean, I know for me, right, when I was first put on CPAP, yeah. they gave me a CPAP in a plastic bag with like a mask that didn't fit my face and just sent me home. <laughs> so was it a similar kind of experience? It, it, it was. It was. I, I feel your pain. And to be honest, I mean, I had what was state of the art then. I had the one with the nasal pillows. I mean, yep. it was a it, it was a great machine, but you know, as as you well know, it it hampers your lifestyle. It's like a part time job. You've got to clean it, and half the time I would wake up and it would be off. Mm -hmm. uh, the worst problem with it, Emma, was I couldn't sleep with it. Right. It, it exacerbated my insomnia. I couldn't sleep. Yeah. And it when I when I had it on, and all it did was basically blast my blast my airway open. And I never was able to collect sleep data. Most importantly, that's because you weren't think, able to sleep. Right. So, Most importantly, yeah. assessing sleep stages during sleep CPAP therapy, which is that's very difficult to find on the internet. I'm an experienced medical medical literature researcher, and I have looked and looked and looked for that because I have mm -hmm. I have friends in the industry who have told me, you know, anecdotally, well. You know what happens to your REM sleep when you're wearing a CPAP device. Um, you're not seeing a lot of data published on that, so I no. don't want to. I don't want to paint anyone or anything with a broad brush, but I think. We I mean, I think all, also. I mean, I hope things are getting much better. Like just in terms of the more that wearables become a bit more reliable. Like I think that that gap between therapeutic grade sleep studies that are kind of you can do at home and wearables that are people I hope that that gap really closes and we start seeing like really good data yeah it's a challenge because people are told like you're doing great with CPAP if it's reducing your AHI but they're 
they're not looking at like yeah but i still like i was still having that for a sleepiness scale of like 15 you know yeah you have to look at all the data right you have to measure a a number of variables and you have to interpret them all together and as as you are doing more often than not the treatment involves more than one modality right now i found that cpap totally did not work for me i could not do it so how long did you give it until you just were like this is not working and i have to probably about two months okay about two months i, I could tell it early on it, oh yeah, yeah yeah and of course you know you have to be cpap intolerant in order to get the inspire which i ended up getting down the road yeah and so when you did you go back to your doctor and say this is not working for me what else have you got or did you find a dentist or what was the next thing the next step was basically not not getting any treatment at all uh I tried, there was a gap there. There was a gap there where I didn't really do anything at all. In 2017, I went to a sleep dentist back where uh, where we used to live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There was a, a dental sleep medicine dentist in York, which was a couple of towns over. And he made me an oral appliance uh, called a tap appliance, which you're, mm-hmm. you and your listeners are probably familiar with. And I wore that for probably the better part of a year. And I did probably mm, probably six or seven home sleep tests okay. while wearing that. And it it proved to be virtually ineffective. I was still in saturation, was still dropping into the into the mid-80s, yeah. and my AHI was still up there. Let me back up a minute. Before that, I had a follow-up uh, PSG sleep lab study in 2013, which confirmed mm-hmm. what the first one in 2010 said, which is you got severe obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. And I saw another sleep doc and beyond CPAP, he really was not able to, he said, okay, oral appliance therapy. He said, yeah, you can certainly try that. Um, I think it, there's a lot of variation in how familiar sleep medicine physicians are with oral yes. appliances which are made by and some of them are unbelievably not familiar with them oh, at all you. and don't know anything <laughs> about it which is astonishing yeah. when you think about it it's I, I there was a time in my life emma when i would have been astonished but the more i have seen <laughs> and you know being a healthcare clinician myself you know in the thick of it i mean i know how to talk to doctors i know how to talk to dentists I've seen the way things work. I won't say from the inside, in dentistry somewhat, but certainly yeah. not medicine. But, you know, I don't pull any punches with, with MDs or DOs either. And I uh, I said, you know, you know look, this is, uh, I, I need more information here. And yeah. they're, they're, the information was sketchy. So this sleep doctor referred me to an oral surgeon who made another type of appliance and we ended up um not working together uh we were another mandibular advancement device or right he oral was appliance kind of right thing. right it, yep. it was I, I believe uh it was it was wasn't a tap appliance it was another uh another brand name uh but in any case we ended up not working together and you know one thing i want to point out is that sleep medicine or sleep dentists sleep oral surgeons dental sleep medicine dentists tend to apply a one-size-fits-all philosophy toward mandibular advancement appliances and they tend to prescribe the same appliance for every patient that comes through their practice which so i had exactly the opposite experience have you really okay Mm -hmm. with my dentist but i think that you know a lot of that is the level of research I did <laughs> like into which dentist I wanted to go and see and right. I think I've just been extremely fortunate but I have absolutely heard what you're you know like there are de- dentists who literally only have one make available for their patients and that's right all they have like and they right. don't have like other because they really vary a lot if they do and and the, this goes along with you know the philosophy of when you practice dental sleep medicine, uh, you can basically go out there and I hate to say this, but fly by the seat of your pants. You take CE courses, you take, you know, whatever. 
the only benchmark out there is to be a diplomat of the American Board of Dental Sleep Medicine. Yeah. And there are people, there are dentists out there practicing dental sleep medicine, Emma, who have who have likely never heard of that certification. Yeah, lots of them. The board or the AADSM <laughs> yeah. as a society. Yeah. That's really, uh, to my knowledge, the only true certification out there. Yeah. And, you know, I know what questions to ask. And the first Same. thing I asked this uh, dental sleep medicine dentist was, okay, um, so when are we going to schedule the uh, cone beam computed tomography? I don't know how familiar your listeners are with that. Yeah, pretty familiar uh, by the stage. They are. <laughs> you know what it is, right? <laughs> yeah, I've had it's so like a, many. It's like a three D. It's like a three D CT scan of mm-hmm. of the the bottom two thirds of your of your head. Yep. And it shows you everything, and it, you can measure the volume of the airway. And this guy said, "Oh well, I, we don't do that." And I'm I like, feel like most. I think I feel like most dentists who are doing this, there there is an element of try and see, right? Like, let's just not bother with that. Let's just try a bunch of different, you know, appliances and see if we can get them to work rather right. than and it just ends up being very expensive for patients. Right. And I think that was his philosophy as well. He was firmly convinced that a cone beam is not going to give us any data because when you're imaging the awake airway. That's not going to tell you anything. And that turned out to be dead wrong. At Mm -hmm. this point, you know, we were, Bonnie and I were doing our functional oral and airway health summits. We did four of them uh, starting in 2017, which is around when I was seeing this dentist. And I'm talking to all these people and I'm talking to, you know, people, people like Bill Hang, you know, Bill, uh, just retired, uh, face focused uh, orthodontic therapist out in uh, California and his perspective was the exact opposite he said you've got to do a cone beam you've got to look at the airway yes the data that you glean from imaging the awake airway do tell you things and i'm like okay well my level of confidence in the dentist that i'm seeing here just dropped dramatically yeah that together with the fact that the appliance he made me basically didn't work So then I moved. So I moved to... you've already tried. So just to summarize, we've tried yeah. CPAP, didn't work, couldn't right. sleep with it on. You tried these two different um, mandibular advancement appliances, and they didn't work either. I tried one. I tried all of the, the only one I actually had made for me was the tap appliance. The tap one, and, got it. And that did not work. Yeah. So then, how are you feeling at this point? Discouraged, this... fed up, well... like. Well, I, I moved. I moved on to looking at okay, what else? All right, I need to get a. I need to get a cone beam. All right, I need to see how bad off my airway really is. So, uh, I saw another dentist, orthodontist, periodontist, who got me a cone beam, and she wasn't really forthcoming about how my airway looked. What she told me was, and then, again, this gets into the multifactorial causes of sleeping disorders she told me it's your soft palate you have a huge soft palate and that's part of the problem and she really wasn't focused on the airway and she looked at the airway and she said oh well it looks pretty normal to me and i don't think that she was conversant she was not a dental sleep medicine dentist right an orthodontist and a periodontist and you know i i took that and i took that cone beam i think i got a follow-up cone beam and i sent that to bill hang to have him look at it and he's like oh dude you're in a world of hurt yeah you need mandibular advancement surgery maxillomandibular mma surgery which he is you know i i i I love bill but he is firmly in the camp of okay this is the only thing that's going to save your butt yeah uh i'm not entirely convinced of that but at least he told me you know look your airway volume is is in the toilet here and that's the first time I'd ever really heard that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we met up at the 2019 Greater New York Dental Meeting. Did your cone we were... beam scan have like this, this sort of color coding where it's yes. like, yeah, so it's like yes. red and tiny. Uh, yeah, I couldn't see that at my end, but I, I think he could see it at his end. Yeah. And, you know, of course, he's looked at hundreds of these. Yeah. And he was able to tell me, you know.
This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well we look after our mind really affects how we experience life. Therapy has been so helpful to me since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It helped me to work through the feelings I had about going undiagnosed for so long. It also helped me to adjust to living with a chronic condition. One of the best things about starting my podcast has been realizing I'm not alone in coping with mental health issues along with sleep apnea. Speaking to a professional therapist has helped me enormously to manage my anxiety and depression. BetterHelp is online therapy and it's much more affordable than in-person sessions. You can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's betterhelp.com slash Emma. And so what was the next thing you were trying to get to you're trying to understand like yeah. what the next treatment option might to, be yes, that isn't was, you, so you right. just weren't interested in the mma surgery not at that point no and you're i like went to her team. because she's an orthodontist and <laughs> right. usually you have orthodontic treatment in conjunction with yes. doing the mma surgery yeah. and so that was the context in which i saw her okay you know whatever treatment she would have to she would give me from the orthodontic department would be in tandem with what uh, Dr. Reza Mobahed in St. Louis, whom yep. they send all their MMA cases to, the cuts that he would be making during the surgery. Yep. And so I decided, okay, I'm not ready for that yet. Um, let's let's just wait and see. And that was early 2020. And I think it was in 2020 that I started looking into inspire i was talking to my my friend pat mcbride who at that point was working yeah. for inspire do you know pat mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> she's been on the podcast as well uh, uh yeah that's that's right i remember seeing her name yeah wonderful wonderful cheerleader you know smart really really experienced really really mover and a shaker and uh she said you know you're you're getting to the point where you're 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 hitting the last ditch effort, Hail Mary territory here, Scott. And I started considering Inspire. And at that point, I started getting I, I wanted to get it uh pre-authorized. I realized that there was going to be a pre-authorization process. I had no idea how laborious that authorization process was going yeah. to be. And that's why one of the things that Karen said struck me, struck a huge chord because it took me, I think she said she had to go through a year before she could get it approved. Yeah. It was pretty much the same with me. Yeah. And I had to go from one insurance company to the other. The one I was with at that point through the health insurance marketplace, they flat out turned me down. And yeah. I renewed during an open enrollment. And I picked the ball up again, trying to get it approved with them. And this was, you know, at that point, I had already identified an Inspire surgeon in Pennsylvania and he was going to bat for me and he was writing a provider appeal. And even that, you know, they were just fighting me tooth and nail. Ultimately. So from your point it. of view, um, just to kind of clarify. So, I mean, I know my reasons why I'm not super keen to do the MMA surgery, but I just wanted to hear from you. Like to you, you just saw that the MMA surgery is a lot more of an invasive a, a much bigger surgery than the Inspire surgery. And you yes, thought that that was preferable, basically. Correct. That's one okay. thing. And I know that, I mean, let's face it, Emma, you only hear the success stories. I know that there are... Oh, no, I hear all the stories. Okay. <laughs> That's so you know part what, of it. You know what I'm talking about. MMA surgery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's got a good success record. But there are surgeries that are not successful. Yeah. And, and depending upon who is doing it, and People also make the mistake well, of thinking, is... okay, my oral surgeon is going to do this. Well, and any oral surgeon can do this. Uh, no, there's only a handful of people in the yeah. world, Emma. Who can and do also, this um, so I don't know if you heard last week's episode with Doug Toombs, but like our favorite thing is talking about what surgical success means to patients. 
uh, versus surgeons. Because often yeah. surgeons are looking at the share criteria. So they're saying, if I reduced your EHI to under half, then it's a successful surgery, right? But a lot of people are disappointed because they're they're left with, they're still on CPAP, right? So it's, it's like this whole thing where you just have to really thrash out ahead of time. What does actual success look like? Because most people I talk to, patients, are saying success would be a cure, like like an HI under five that they no longer have to do any treatment for. So and, and those are the success stories that you hear. Right. And it's like, you know, oh, she was able to throw her CPAP away. Happy right. days are here again. Sing hallelujah. Right. It's not all like that, as you well know. Right. Yeah. So, so you went through this laborious thing to try and get the Inspire surgery um, approved by your insurance, and so correct. eventually and that you still did. left me on the hook. That still left me on the hook when I when I finally got it done. It left me on the hook with an eighteen hundred dollar copay, which yeah. I had to. That became another monthly payment, which is another thing that I object to, and that's one of the another one of my hesitations for doing the MMA surgery, because there's yes. no way that you're going to get that covered 100% under your medical insurance. Yeah. And everybody I talk to, I get the same number. It's going to be like $50,000 out of pocket. Yeah. And, you, 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 and they, they all make the case, you know, well, how important is your life? You know, yeah, you should take a second mortgage on your house to do that. And I'm like, that's total BS. I'm not going to yeah. do that. I Plus, have I to think do that. sometimes we overlook the fact that um for a lot of people for honestly most americans that's not doable right like we're you know like i i think it's just an unbelievably privileged <laughs> position to be in to even be saying like oh well but if, if it's important to you you'll find the money there's plenty of people where they live paycheck to paycheck they have no savings so they literally you know might not even have credit so yeah. yeah, it is it is a really big, you know, element to that that I think sometimes we gloss over. So yeah, that's that's that was my hesitation too. So I got the Inspire surgery in March of 2021. Mm -hmm. Uh a, a really, really good, very nice, very caring young ENT surgeon uh in uh, the Reading, Pennsylvania area, uh Dr. Adam Vesconcellos and very, again, very caring, very competent. He did the surgery. And this gets back to what we were saying before. He was, he looked at, well, when we got done with the surgery, okay, I have outstanding tongue movement, which means, you know, the hypoglossal nerve lead is, is working. Okay, fine. And like your other guest, I had the three incision procedure, which of course they're not doing anymore. Yeah. And it's my feeling that that respiratory sensing lead that was put in through this incision may not have been working properly from the beginning because right. I started to, and in, in the middle of all this, Emma, Bonnie and I moved from Pennsylvania to Florida and we were, you know, U-Haul trucks and mul multiple storage lockers and staying in an Airbnb before yes. and finally working in a very stressful. fast real estate market and finally you know buying the, the house that we have now and moving boxes and whatnot something could something have gotten knocked loose maybe i have a feeling that there was there, there were problems there that i just didn't see because there were other life factors that were distracting me yes i well plus honestly from yeah. a patient point of view you kind of expect the thing to work <laughs> you know that, what i mean true. like you don't really like i think sometimes you know, you look back on things and you think, well, why didn't I notice that it wasn't quite right? Well, it's because you're expecting it to work, right? So you kind of think like, oh, it must just be me, but <laughs> it and, doesn't and feel quite right. Problem you know? that, the problem was that I have insomnia superimposed on that. Yes. And, you know, obviously I don't know how well I'm breathing while I'm sleeping and I have not been really working with the Inspire app, so I have not been really doing the, the data collection yeah. thing uh, the, the way that some other people do. So the comorbidity of the insomnia has been a, a real stumbling block Challenge, for me. Yeah. So I connected with the sleep, uh, the Inspire folks uh, in the Tampa Bay area, 
headquartered at Tampa General Hospital. And at this point, you're, you are using it, though, at night? At this like point, I had, the, I, I had been using the Inspire. It was placed yeah. March of 2021. It was turned on, I think it was six weeks later. Yeah. Tell me Yesterday. about your experience after it was turned on. Okay. The, you're kind uh, of ramping up the... Ramping I mean, I it up, basically it's, it's, understand it just from Karen's story, but <laughs> right, right, and you're supposed to ramp it up. And again, then Karen made this point too. the The settings can be tweaked nine ways to Sunday, as far as yes, what you're seeing on the Inspire Sleep Remote may mean a number of things depending upon how they've got it calibrated and what voltage is associated with what setting, and yes, adjusting it to make it make your tongue do what it's what what they want it to do. But which is we should just say for people who are brand new to even uh, I always assume lots of knowledge and then people go, What are you talking about? But um the Inspire implant, I'll just briefly explain, has a sensor in your chest, and then that tells um it whether you're breathing in or not. And so when you breathe in, the sensing leads up to your hypoglossal nerve will then tell it to move out of your airway essentially that's the sim- the tongue. stimulation the stimulation lead which has the cuff around the hypoglossal yes. nerve that is like uh the that's the the equivalent of stimulating a motor nerve it senses okay. your breathing and then accordingly or moves your tongue moves your moves your out tongue out of, out of the way so i went to have an interrogation, several interrogations. The interrogation is what the Inspire folks call, you know, testing your device. You go into the sleep physician's office and they run all kinds of electronic tests with, you know, the Inspire, proprietary Inspire equipment from the company. And I did that once we got settled and I went in to get my- Because you weren't immediately feeling better, right? So you are like, let's figure out like what's happening. Yes, yes. now, I wanted to I wanted to get a baseline. I wanted them to to look at it and okay, you know what where are we at this point in time? And the team started getting readings that were not right that were suggesting to them that there was maybe some kind of a leak or that the leads were not functioning properly. And long story short, that turned turned out to be true. And I found out on a series of CT scans, that one of the leads had become disconnected and I had to have Inspire revision surgery, which right. I had in September of 2022 at Tampa General Hospital. And so the, what the level surgeon, of fed up are you by this point? At this point, you know, Emma, I'm like, okay, I'm I've got my sleeves rolled up. Listen, I'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. Okay, we need a revision. Well, all right, let's let's just get it done. So yeah. I had the revision surgery by Dr. Padia at uh, Tampa General, who was basically the Inspire King of the Tampa Bay area. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done over probably 300 procedures at this point. And he was, he, when he was trying to get the old respiratory sensing lead out through this incision here, he got the lead out, but it either then became disconnected from the, the lead head, which is a piece of metal inside the chest. Yeah. Uh, and the, the lead head stayed where it was and the lead came out and he could not get the the lead head out and he was reluctant to go digging for it because he was afraid of giving me a pneumothorax, which you don't want to do in in the midst of Inspire surgery, which does not enter the chest cavity. You poke a hole in the chest cavity, the air comes into the chest cavity and that's a pneumothorax, which is no bueno. So he left it in there, which was... The right surgical decision to make yes. so that also left me with the uh the, the dilemma of finding another surgeon that could evaluate whether it was worth going after this thing and if we needed to do it luckily i connected with dr jonathan daniel who had, was a recent transplant to the tampa bay area from anchorage alaska of all places wonderful wonderful guy really excellent cardiothoracic surgeon and it's and, uh, worth saying to people listening yeah. like that you do have a bunch of really great videos 
about your whole um, journey with this on um, your YouTube channel. So we'll link to that in the show notes so that people can actually go and watch because that was the point where I was just all in and like, are they going to find this thing that's floating about in his body? And it kind of shows the scans where you you find out where it was. And yes, by way of clarification, it's not on our YouTube YouTube channel. It's on our website. Got it. which is healthymouthmedia.com. Okay. And you want to click on the, the tab that says my implant for OSA, and then you see all we 28 can, videos, yeah, and you can we'll watch whatever ones you want. And, you know, Good if deal. you really want the, the, the dramatic buildup to whatever denouement you want yeah. to describe it as, and numbers probably 20, 23, 24, 25 through 28, Yeah. Uh, I go through... A whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so, but the short what... version is they did retrieve it. Yes. I had a five-day stay <laughs> at Tampa General goodness. Hospital. And uh, Dr. Daniel was able to retrieve it. And he took some, some photographs. Have you still got I, it in the jar? I've, I've got it. I've got it oh right my here. Gosh. That's, that's the that's the lead head just r- rattling around there. I'm saving yeah. that for posterity. I may hang it on the rearview mirror of the car. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> But it, it was out, and we decided, okay, is this worth the risk of doing a, a thoracoscopy, which is what this procedure is called, which is, you know, putting a camera into somebody's chest. Yes. And I had to get a follow-up CT scan, which told Dr. Daniel and me that this thing was indeed migrating, and it was going progressively south, and where it finally settled was inside my chest cavity at the top of my diaphragm. That's not where the, you want the, it. The pleura, which is the membrane that, that goes around the lungs. And he said, okay, you know, if it's not moving, we're going to leave it where it is. If it is moving, then we got to go in and get it. Yeah. And it turned out it was moving. So we needed to do the surgery. Yeah. So that was a five-day stay at Tampa General Hospital. Two of the fo- days, two two of the days following the the uh, surgery were in the ICU, and you know, I told a bunch of I tell a bunch of stories in the video about my experience with that. Not mm-hmm. all directly related to the Inspire, but helpful hints as far as you know what you want to do, what you need to know if you're going to have an extended hospital stay, because yeah. there there were things. Things that happened that I did not anticipate, uh, not the so, least of which was they did not give me my regular blood pressure medication. Right. They substituted something else, which, which resulted didn't go in, well. uh, in uh, adverse adverse effects. Mm-hmm. So that's all on the videos, too. And they're all on the Healthy yeah. Media Mouth.com and so website. Then once you so you got that piece taken out, you've got you, you've had your revision and then. Did you notice improvements to your sleep or, you know, like what was happening with the Inspire implant? Was it helping had, you or or not I, as much? I, I, I think it is helping, Emma, and I, I'm thinking after the revision surgery, I did notice something of a difference. You know, again, this, this is not like night and day. It's a con- yeah. continuous source of frustration for me. You hear these wonderful blue sky yeah. stories, you know, oh, well, I got this and it's like night and day. Hallelujah. Now I, yeah. I have seen the light. I have been transformed. I haven't been transformed yet, Emma. Was it better? Subjectively, yes, I think so. And subjective interpretation of how well you're sleeping yeah. is important. And you right. have to you have to look at that. And I've seen and that the your doctors and the inspire folks say that that's important yeah. too. But dramatic improvement, probably not dramatic. There was improvement yeah. after the revision surgery. Well, I think uh, if it ha- like I hope that it helps for you to feel less alone, but those are the stories I hear the most often, right? Of people who there are people who, you know, wear CPAP one night and wake up the next day like this is just amazing and I feel so much better. But those people don't listen to my podcast because they're just going about their lives, right? So most of the people I hear from are people where they're like, well, you know, I think it is helping some, it's not perfect, you know, like, so I think there's a lot of us trying multiple different angles to figure this whole thing out. 
Right. And and that's one of the things that makes this podcast such a valuable service, Emma. You're you're allowing people to tell their stories, and a lot of them are are not rousing success stories. No, this most is, of this them is the journey. You've <laughs> yes. you've got your journey out Absolutely there. This is my journey. inspired journey. And yeah. it's it's been it's been a rocky road. I mean, yeah. I'm in it for the long haul. I'll do whatever I need to do, mm-hmm. but there have been bumps along the way, which is what yeah. led me to to shoot this this video series and i just yeah. i hope it it will help people well i think it will like just people who are in similar situations okay so one thing that you wanted to just mention was about the mayo munchie correct this is a device it's out of australia it's mainly for kids and this is the mini mini mayo munchie and it's gone through several iterations i've been using this since 2019 Okay. And I use it for two purposes. One, to keep me from bruxing at night because I have a history of bruxism. It goes yeah. in like this. Uh, so it keeps your teeth from colliding or occluding during the night. Yep. And it also usually stops my snoring. And and what yeah. I do is... keeping your mouth closed. Right. And I use paper mouth tape over the Mayo Munchie. Yep. And I think that helps me to breathe through... Your my nose. nose and as you know nasal breathing is is critical so where is that that's, that's something that the medical community has yet to catch on to yeah. but you know we're, we're working on that uh but what happened with my last home sleep test i the psg in december and the last hst that i did 10 days ago i had my maya munchie in and i had the tape over it i poke a hole through it and i poke the handle through the yeah. tape and my current sleep doctor is concerned that, well, maybe the Maya Munchie is getting in the way of my tongue and the Inspire can't make it protrude. And that's why my AHI has gone up. So hmm. I don't know if that's the case. We've got to continue collecting data and I'll keep you informed. And, you know, maybe we can talk about that when we know more. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that was really interesting was you were talking a little bit about So I didn't realize from the videos what you said earlier in our conversation about that you had actually gone through a bunch of CBT um, earlier. And so, uh, but which hadn't really helped you because I think one of the things I was going to ask was had somebody said to you, like, maybe try CBTI for the insomnia part of it, but it seemed like you had already done the cognitive behavior therapy. And so, so the CBTI didn't seem appealing maybe. I had had a fair amount of CBTI, starting with various therapists starting in 1995, yeah. uh, off again, on again, and then from about 2003, 2004 through 2009, 2010. Yeah. And it was basically talk therapy. It was basically a conversation. Was it helpful? Maybe. I, I Again, there was not a dramatic improvement. Yeah. And the first sleep doctor that I contacted when I moved to the Tampa Bay area uh, was, a, she gave a very regimented approach. Okay, these are CBTI therapists that you should contact to, you know, get into, you know, get into, you know, towing the line and you have to do the sleep hygiene <laughs> thing and use your bed only for sleeping, only for sleeping or sex, nothing yeah, else. Yeah, so tell me about the, so this is what's super interesting to me. Tell me about, because you went to this doctor and she's telling you, you know, try these um, sleep hygiene things to help your sleep. But so why are you resistant to that? It just doesn't, it just doesn't seem like it's going to help or it just isn't, doesn't fit in with your lifestyle or or what was it about that that you didn't like? uh, All all of those things to varying degrees. I look at bedtime as something where i i'm i can relax there's there's no pressure i i need to wind down uh i like to read in bed of course when you do the sleep hygiene thing while reading is verboten uh you 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 can't eat of course i i i'm a night eater i don't know how many night eaters you talk to but that's something that i've done since i was a kid and, you know, it's kind of a, a veiled hint, you know, shame, shame, you can't do that. You know, what what, what are you doing? It's, it's a form of addiction is what it is. And it's very under-researched. So that doesn't fit. A bunch of things just, yeah. just do not fit. It's kind of like CPAP. 
CPAP interfered, not only, it didn't work, it kept me awake, kept falling off. That alone was a disqualifier. But it also made me think of going to bed as something that's, uh, okay, well, I need to step into hell again. I don't want to look at bedtime as hell, Emma. That's mm. one of the main reasons why uh, the CBTI thing uh, mm. doesn't work. And I think psychology in general places far too great an emphasis and far too great credence on CBTI as being the gold standard of psychotherapy, much in the same way that the CPAP industry applies the uh, the term gold standard to mm -hmm. CPAP therapy, which I personally believe is a misnomer and I think is largely taken out of context, especially in view of the, the stories that some of the people on your podcast are uh, telling. Yeah. Yeah. So for what that's worth. So uh, so did you, so you just d decided that wasn't for you? So you didn't try doing the sleep hygiene thing for a while or you just didn't, you just thought it wasn't I tried listening to things. There's a binaural, uh, mm -hmm. binaural beat type of audio that uh, was put out by a guy named Bill Harris. He's uh, Centerpoint Research, I think it's his company. Uh, he's dead now. I don't know if his kids have carried it on, but uh, it was customized and you just, you put your earbuds in and they're like, you know, whooshing sounds and water sounds with mm -hmm. the subliminal things going into your ears in a binaural beat. I've used that on and off over the years. I recently picked up using it again and mm -hmm. I think it's helping. I do it in the morning because every morning Emma, I wake up with anxiety Yes, and I need to no do wonder. something. Yeah. I, do, I need to do something to take care of this anxiety and holos yeah. holosync it's called holosync helps with that i also use a series of audio meditations put out by a company called the, the tapping solution oh yes i don't know if, I don't yeah, know if you're familiar with eft I tapping am. they're wonderful Bonnie yes taught me that when we first met in 2009 and without eft tapping emma i would be we probably wouldn't be having this conversation oh. It's acupressure. You tap on acupressure meridian points while, you know, going through, you know, whatever your trauma, whatever your negative yes. thing is, you flip it from the negative to the positive and you, you, you whittle away at deprogramming whatever is making you anxious. And you're not going to, so you probably don't love that they have an app. But like they have a really great app where you can I use do. It. I use it. Yeah, I have so it. So yeah. that's quite. I find that quite helpful. Just yeah, because... that's where I. That's where I get these meditations. Yeah, and I signed up for access for a year. You pay like seventy dollars yeah, or, or whatever, yeah. and you get access to over five hundred meditations. Yeah, Some I find it really with... helpful. Just you, you are kind of like giving it a number, like how anxious are you feeling? You know, out of ten, and then yeah. you go through the simple tapping thing for a while and if you're anything like me you're you're really um you know skeptical that it's going to work for the first like few times but then sure enough at the end it says now give it a number and you sit there and you feel your body and you think you know it's actually lower I feel a bit less anxious so yeah I think I've the got, more that it worked like that the more right I, I've got tremendous to. I've got considerable experience with tapping Emma well Bonnie taught me EFT she worked with some of the some of the people who were, I think, colleagues of Gary Craig, who oh, yeah. who adapted it from Roger Callahan, the, the thought field therapy in the early to mid-90s. And I actually had a view at one point to becoming an EFT practitioner, and I took up through the level two certification. So cool. my familiar familiarity with EFT tapping is you know, beyond what most people who tune yeah. into the tapping solution would have. So, oh, I'm a believer. Uh, that by far has been the has shown the greatest degree of success in everything that's going on with me, yeah. including you know, Bonnie and I are now tapping on trauma and kind of easing to the surface whatever trauma yes. from childhood or whatever I have yet to deal with. And it's it's the steadiest performer that I've ever had. That's uh, great. way, way beyond what CBTI has ever or CB, so... CBT has ever done for me. The other thing I was going to ask you about was, so you find CBD helpful as well? Yes, and that's uh, CBD stands for cannabidiol, which is the cannabis derivative. You know, with without the the delta nine component, which and some of them do use the delta nine, 
Yeah. Bonnie and I were both using that for a long time. Uh, we were using a particular particular brand, which it, it's in the video if you want to see it. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to mention it now, but I had to get I had to get off my vitamins when I went into the hospital, so I stopped that. I stopped vitamins except for vitamin D and you know multivitamin, and I decided to try everything that I was doing, you know, without the CBD. I were you were chewing gummies. I was taking a CBD uh, liquid mm -hmm. and I was convinced that it was helping me. Okay, let's try it without and let's see if I feel better or worse without it. And I found after I'd stopped it and been without it for say a month, I thought, you know, I really don't feel any different. And you know, I was spending two, three hundred dollars a month on this stuff. Wow, yeah, that's a considerable expenditure. Yeah, and if it I really can is. Do without that, and I haven't taken it since. And okay. I would say, all things considered, I'm probably doing better now than I ever have been. Once okay. I get the spire fixed, once I get you know the lead head out of the out of my chest, and yes. continuing to tap and. You know, next up for me, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Was going to be my next question. What's my movement what's the desensitization and and reprogramming theory, which is supposed to be really good for trauma? Is it and EMDR? Still... EMDR. Uh, yes. I think I'm not sure. I, I don't know whether I knew like what EMDR actually stands for, but that sounds okay. Yeah, and I don't. EMDR uh, I... is supposed to be tremendously helpful for people with trauma. So I've read um, yeah. most uh, conspicuously in uh, the, the book, the New York Times bestselling book by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. Tremendous book. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it tells book. some really intense stories, so it is not for the faint of heart. Yes. But he learned EMDR relatively late in his career, and he, he was introduced by it by one of his patients who was a horrible trauma victim and used that to get back on her feet and actually be, went on to become a family therapist mm. and he connected with her years later and she's she's happy and she got through and she's recovered and integrated her trauma and he said i think it's time for me to get trained on emdr and he did and now he's having tremendous success with it That's in great. his practice yeah so you know my it will be my... so interesting to here i hope we just stay in touch and yes. because it will be so interesting to hear how much of an impact that has on your sleep quality like yeah you know uh, like uh, really uh, getting to the root of that and and treating the trauma and just kind of seeing yes and and again i can't emphasize enough i mean the combined therapy i mean bonnie and i are still going to be continue to tap doing the emotional freedom technique yes. and i think it's it's probably useful to point out here that EFT uh, EFT tapping EFT stands for emotional freedom techniques yeah uh, when you're looking at the APA quote-unquote gold standards of psychotherapy EFT stands for emotionally focused therapy which has nothing to do with meridian tapping so right. that's a very a, a very important distinction to make and confusing for patients I think yes when you're yeah. looking for for therapists there are therapists who do emotional emotional freedom technique, and some of those very same therapists do emotionally focused therapy, which is completely different. Right. And I thought I uh, I had my EMDR therapist all lined up, and, and we turned out to be mutually unsuited. That's a long story, which I won't go into here. But uh, I've got a couple more things for you, really quick. Absolutely. So, yeah. So. One of the things that was interesting on your video to me, and, and this I think is fascinating because so many people I've talked to have had the same situation where they've actually had like a much higher AHI on their back and either their doctor hasn't told them that or or they just haven't realized that positional therapy of like sleeping on your side is potentially really helpful. And so that certainly was the case for me. And, and you know, it's definitely helped me to sleep on my side versus my back. So I wasn't sure whether from the video, whether you just find out that that was an element of what was happening or whether you actually went down that route and, you know, I don't know, got one of those slumber bump things or a pillow or 
did you do anything with that or not really? No, never to that extent, Emma. However, during my last PSG uh, at Tampa General Hospital in December, my sleep tech was looking at the readings and he said, oh, by the way, whatever you do, don't sleep on your back because supine, I, I got the, yeah. the crappiest readings, crappiest readings of all. Yes. I must point out that during that polysomnogram, the last one I had in December 2022, I came in with an AHI of three. And the the real contrasting thing to bring us up to the minute, I just had a home sleep test uh, about 10 days ago, and that returned an AHI of 35.1. So now I'm really confused as to what's going on. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I, I'm doing this with another sleep doctor in, uh, in uh, the Tampa Bay area. And we're reevaluating, and they recalibrated my Inspire device to the point where, well, first of all, it centered my tongue, and they essentially lowered the voltage output to the point where I can now, I can barely feel it when I turn the Inspire on. And quite frankly, at this point, I don't know whether that's helping or not. So the plan now is to do a follow-up home sleep test and see where we're at and maybe another follow-up psg down the road so and maybe that, another follow-up interview for us down the road <laughs> oh i'd be happy to because i feel like it, i mean certainly with my own journey as well i feel like it yeah. kind of is never ending <laughs> so. yeah and you gotta like anything you gotta you gotta keep trying new things until you yep. find what works and sometimes the, the progress it's you know it's the it's the the short pass rather than yeah the hail mary pass for the Some, sometimes it's two steps forward one step back oh and yeah then, yeah you know, yeah for sure totally, well totally listen this that. has been an absolute delight for me i'm so glad you for were able too. to join me thanks so much for listening i love hearing from you if you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.